1: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki.
0: I'm Dale Spangler, and this week's guest is Moto America Superbike and Stock 1000 racer Jeff May. Moto America is an official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. Moto America, home of AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series, features 10 rounds and 20 races of the best motorcycle road racing on two wheels. That's seven classes of motorcycle road racing, including Superbike, Supersport, Junior Cup, Stock 1000, Twins Cup, and the ever popular King of the Baggers and Roland Sands Superhooligans. America has reinvigorated motorcycle road racing in North America, and one of its primary goals is to help send riders to the top level international championships. Moto America is not only proud to be stewards of the sport's rich heritage, but also to be a catalyst and guiding force for its future. Don't miss a minute of the action with Moto America Live Plus video-on-demand streaming. Tickets, info, and a complete schedule can be found at MotoAmerica.com forward slash tickets. And while you're there, follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
1: This week's race recap is Moto America round two from Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta in Braselton, Georgia, And I think we're seeing a changing of the guard in this series. Ducati has gotten very serious about racing in 2022 here in the U.S., winning the Superbike event on Saturday, as well as winning both Supersports events. In Superbike racing, Petrucci and that Ducati have just been on fire, winning Saturday with a dominant performance and just looking smooth all day. They were kind of helped out a little bit by Jake Gagne going down early in the race after a lead, but uh, great racing all around.
0: Yeah, I was definitely impressed with Matthew Skoltz. He definitely did not make it easy for Petrucci. I thought he was going to run away with it after Gagne went down. He hung in there tight and pushed uh, Petrucci all the way to the end. I think maybe we'll see, you know, with his riding, I think maybe we'll see a a win here in the near future for Skoltz. Gagne going down. Gosh, you know, he rebounded on Sunday to take the win. And in a reverse switch of fate, Petrucci goes out with a blown engine this championship isn't over. You know, I think from the start, a lot of people probably thought it was going to be over with uh, two DNFs for Gagne, but uh, he's back in it now, only uh, 34 points out of the lead after winning on Sunday and Petrucci going out.
1: in King of the Baggers action, always exciting for the fans. Kyle Wyman takes the win on that Factory Harley and continues to lead the series. After Bobby Fung, who washed out early in the race, he had just lost his front tire, went down hard, and he was battling with James Raspoli. So, really watching this series closely your two Daytona winners Mick Williams and, and uh, Tyler O'Hara still had an okay weekend after all is said and done but uh, Kyle Wyman defending champ taking the race.
0: That was the standout for me Kyle Wyman I mean what a weekend He gets a podium position in Superbike which we you know we didn't mention from our Superbike discussion but wins the King of the Baggers gets a podium in the Superbike you know what an awesome weekend for him. He's kind of back within the the title chase again, now 20 points out of the lead. Of course, there is only five rounds in King of the Baggers, so it's going to be a little tough for him to win the title, but I think he's back in it. Probably see him up front.
1: In Junior Cup action, Max Van Denbroek leads the series, taking P2 and P1 on the weekend and some great action in that series. In front of the show, Kayla Yakov goes four and three on the weekend. so She did hit a podium, and we just want to give a pit pass shout out to her.
0: Our industry spotlight this week focuses on the American Motorcycles Association's announcement that race registration is now open for those looking to participate in the racing action at this year's AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days, which is scheduled for July 22nd through the 24th at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course in Lexington, Ohio. Vintage Motorcycle Days offers everyone from weekend warriors to Hall of Famers to pro-riders a chance to go back in time and compete on two-wheeled machines of the past. Types of racing that will occur during Vintage Motorcycle Days include motocross, road racing, hair scrambles, trials, flat track, and even pit bike racing. To register to race or learn more about AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days, visit VintageMotorcycleDays.com.
1: We'd like to welcome to pit pass moto jeff may he is a riding for the team vision wheel discount tire amsoil kws motorsports honda and he's just off the track from atlanta this last weekend and and number one we hope you're okay jeff and because i know you took a nasty digger on lap four at uh, what we would say is your home track i would imagine right
2: yeah it was definitely a nasty get off but uh it could always be worse i had a complete front brake failure And in the section where I was at, I had to make a decision real fast to either clean out Corey Alexander or bail out to the left and lay the thing down before I hit the wall. So I laid it down on purpose and kind of got out of the way of everybody the best I could. And I fared a lot better than the bike. It pretty much (laughs) destroyed my bike, but uh, we'll be okay. And uh, we were able to rally on Sunday. And even with a potential broken leg, I was able to or ankle, I was able to rally and get a top 10. So we feel pretty strongly about the rest of the season. It's not the way we wanted to start out, but, you know, these things happen. It's racing.
1: That is the truth. Racing for sure. And and you've had a great start this year. I mean, Daytona, you got to participate in, which was awesome to see. And then in Dakota, now this weekend, now things will probably settle down a little bit as you try to recover. And and I imagine you're probably going to get some sort of prognosis soon on that, I hope. And uh, we're we all... Certainly hope you're okay.
2: Yeah, you know I'll I'll be fine. It's part of the job. Luckily VIR is May 20th, so we're right around a month out. That'll give me plenty of time to recoup. If you know, since I was able to ride the day after, I'm I'm sure you know having a month to recover, I'll be just fine. And VIR is another one of my favorite tracks. So we plan to come out swinging every round this year. We're going for that Stock 1000 Championship, and we're gonna throw
0: everything in the kitchen sink at it. So Jeff, in addition to, of course, being a racer, you're also now a team owner with your Vision Wheel discount tire team. Tell us a little bit more about that. How is it running your race team, being a racer while holding down a full-time job as a, a mortgage banker?
2: Well, it's, I've taken on a lot, but I had a lot of time to think about it last year. Vision Wheel came on as my title sponsor for four rounds, and we, we had a lot of success. So we wanted to see You know, hey, what would this look like if we get a full season? Could we realistically go after the championship? Could I realistically devote myself back to racing full time? And, you know, how do we scale this up? And should we even do it? You know, there's a lot of questions, especially being 41 years old and having a successful mortgage business. Any time away from that is going to be detrimental. So I had a lot of conversations with my bosses, which happened to be good friends of mine at the, uh, the mortgage company I worked for and had a lot of conversations also with my mechanics and wife and everybody on the racing side. And I was able to come up with a solution where I have a great team behind me in the mortgage side. So when I'm gone racing, I have people there that can be called up at a minute's notice to handle any of my mortgage business. And then at the racetrack, I have an incredible team behind me To make sure that I'm out on the track and have the best possible bike to go after the championship. My wife's extremely supportive, and my son's on board. So we figured, you know, why not? You don't really get this chance in life often to kind of have a second chance or a third chance. And racing is my passion. It's where my heart really truly is. That's all I've ever wanted to do. So I know if I didn't go after this, that I would regret it for the rest of my life. I know I'd probably wake up one day kicking myself. So. What the future holds, the goal is a multi-year thing. We're looking at racing this year in Stock 1000 and Superbike, developing the Superbike one weekend at a time and adding the pieces as I kind of see where they need to be. That's one of my specialties as a racer. And what I did for Eric Buell was development rider with the hopes of going full Superbike next year and possibly adding a teammate or two. And then a few years down the line, Maybe in the near future, stepping back and just being the team owner slash rider rep helper, you know, and building the team and giving other guys a shot and still being relevant and involved in
0: racing. Tell us a little bit more, because I I love on your Instagram account, you have have in there the title, World's Fastest Mortgage Banker. To kind of go back to that, your day-to-day profession, how did you choose that profession, you know, to be a mortgage banker? And, uh, you know, when did you get your start?
2: I think a lot of professional athletes go through the moment of losing their career as they know it, right? Like It's going to come to an end one way or another, why, whether it's your choice or it's dictated for you, right? And most of the time, people get injured or a sponsor leave or something happens that causes them to no longer be able to race, especially later in your career. There's less people there that are you know, willing to take a risk on you, become more more risky. And you see that in NFL with players as they get aged. People are more likely to opt for the new up-and-coming guy because like, man, this guy's got a future. They want help. And they don't really want to help guys who have already had their chances. When Eric Biel Racing went out of business, when EBR went under, when the whole place shut down. I was left with no ride. And that was the very beginning of Motor America. At the time, the series changed hands and when we found out we wouldn't be racing a little superbike anymore it was supposed to be a two-year deal for me or end up beyond i moved out to italy moved my family i moved everything over there and that was the path going forward and i always thought i would work for ebr that's talks that eric buell and i had had was you know after racing's done you'll work for at the factory or with the company in some fashion well that all went sideways and at the point in time it did all the rides were already taken so it's you know like musical chairs in the sport and there was no rides i wasn't willing to give up at that point in time so I thought, hey, i'll i build a bike for daytona so I, I bought a salvage r6 from an auction and i built the bike in my garage and got some help from a lot of the people that i knew in the industry that knew what they were doing with r6s and went down to Daytona and put it on pole for the 200 and then had a stellar weekend almost won the race ended up with a podium and I thought yeah well that'll get everybody's attention you know that that's got to mean something and it didn't you know just like the sports in a weird spot you know if there's no rides available there's no ride it's all about timing at that point in time it was pretty obvious to me and my wife and family like man you get a job it's over you know you've had, had at that point in time I think like a 16 year career right which is a long professional career for anything it was over so what do you do you know what, what does anyone do when their career's over you kind of have to you don't want to let it go number one number two you got to figure out what to do next and that's not easy when you're an athlete and you put every day and blood sweat and tears into something you know you, i had no idea what to do so i spent about six months being a bum pretty much and <laughs> my wife telling me i needed to get a job. I blew through all the money I made in racing and the owner of the company I work for now actually suggested one night where we went we on vacation. He's like, man, you got to do something. Just, just go get your mortgage license. I'll put you to work. So I did. I don't think he expected me to do it. I went and did it and then he had to hire me. So that's how I got into the mortgage business.
1: That's interesting because it's, it just turned from an innocent comment into a full-blown career. And it's funny how things sometimes congeal that way. It's, it's awesome.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's it's a it's a good I mean, it's kind of the way the world works that we live in now. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You never know who's gonna be there to pick you up when you're down. It was a good fit. It still is a good fit. I'm not really great at sales, but I'm good at talking with people because I've always had to as a a factory writer, I have to talk to people, shake hands, sign autographs, converse and writing for Eric Buell and being a development writer. I had to be very analytical with everything I did. And look at the numbers behind everything and the data, process data, and go over everything. So for me, the mortgage stuff was a little bit of a natural fit just because it, it's just numbers. I look at it in a black and white way and present that to my clients and customers and say, hey, you know, here's your option. You got A, B, and C. This is what they are. It's very matter of fact. I'm not going to try to sell anybody on anything especially something that's that important. And I made a good name in racing and the, the racing community stood behind me on the mortgage side because I continued to stay fresh on the bike by going in club racing because the mortgage industry afforded me to go club racing as a hobby. They became my clients and customers and then it spread. You know, I, I ended up with a lot of business from the Weira community here in the whole southeast. And then that spread to the Moto America paddock, where I've ended up helping a lot of people in the Moto America paddock as well. It's been an interesting marriage between the two. And then scaling it all up. You know, Being in the mortgage industry for the last seven years has given me a a very good skill set business-wise to be ready to be a team owner and to understand how everything has to work on the business end to make it have longevity and be successful.
1: So Jeff, looking back through those 16 years you mentioned in helping uh, Eric Buell develop that bike and racing, you also had an interesting stopover with the Jordan race team and I got to ask you, did you get a chance to meet Michael and how did that uh, that whole series come about in in your racing career? Racing was
2: way different back in the 2000s, the model or the way that you came up and you were successful in racing. The whole buyer ride thing was really just a blip on the radar because it was all manufacturer-based, right? You had the factory Suzuki riders, and then you had the B teams, the C teams, and even D teams out there, if you will, at the time. And you had all the other manufacturers. The big four Japanese were so heavily involved in carrying the sport, and their marketing model was win on Sunday, sell on Monday. The marketing dollars drove it, and we didn't have this thing called social media now, right? So it was called speed vision back then and which became it turned into something else but back then it was all about tv time and joyce julius numbers and looking at you could assess a real marketing value to how much tv time well whoever's winning a race or battling for the race win is obviously getting the most tv time so therefore they're worth the most to the teams and all of our riders that were factory or semi-factory all had salaries and big bonuses and there was a lot of money in the sport so I made an entire career out of my whole angle was if you don't hire me I'm going to beat you and make you look bad so you have to hire me and it worked and that's how I ended up at Jordan basically is Suzuki pegged me to be the next guy at the time to take Ben Spee's spot so I was at John Ulrich's team for three years and they knew that Ben was leaving in 09 to go to World Superbike. They already knew it at that point in time. And they said, OK, Jeff, you need to go to Jordan and learn the Dunlop tires for a year. And then after that, you're going to be on Ben Spee's ride with his crew here in Superbike as the factory city rider. So that was how I ended up at Jordan. They essentially told Jordan, hey, you are taking Jeff if you want our help dictated at that time to them. And so I went to Jordan for the year. Then we had the housing downturn in the middle of it, 2008, things started to go sideways for the manufacturers. Daytona Motorsports Group bought AMA, the rights to AMA Superbike Racing. So the entire plan or game changed right in the middle of it. And the Jordan guys came along and they seen the writing on the wall and knew the way things were heading and they decided to start the second team with the national guard and they're like hey would you would you come ride for the national guard so here i had this decision of do i keep pursuing the Yoshimura ride which is supposed to happen next year or do i take this right turn down a different path which seems to be the future of nascar involvement with nascar sponsors and being involved with jordan and I had a few things that happened along the way that really steered me towards the National Guard ride. And that's the direction I went with those guys. and it was um, it was a really awesome experience the entire, I mean, the two years there with them and with michael jordan. and and yeah, I got to meet him on multiple occasions. and And not only did I get to meet him, I got to hang out with him and at the track. and he was honestly one of the coolest guys I've ever met. And the way he conducted himself and put his riders up on a pedestal above himself, he would shield himself from the public at the racetrack and stay up in a suite, stay out of the public eye. Because if he came around, it would detract from his riders. Because everybody wanted to see Michael Jordan. They they all of a sudden didn't care about Aaron Gates or Jeff May. They cared about him. He got mobbed. One of the cool things he did, he sent me probably $500 in stakes for Christmas every year. I want to say five years after I left the team. It's a really cool opportunity to be able to meet someone and have a personal experience with them, someone like that.
1: Kind of curious also, you mentioned your wife's a big supporter of your program, big part of your program, and your son. Has uh, your son taken up motorcycling yet?
2: No, it, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, he got to grow up in the world superbike paddock and he never really took to motorcycles, he really took to fishing. And so I've fostered that. He's gonna be ten this summer, and all he cares about is fishing and baseball. But he went to Coda, right? So like, hey, dad's going racing again. He's this is this is the real deal. We're going, not just messing around club racing for fun or one-off race here and there. And I said, you know, you're gonna be part of the team. So he's got his team jersey, and I took him down to Dunlop at Coda and showed him how to get the tires mounted and what you gotta do. how you select the tires and just kind of just the whole background of the sport. And we were walking through the paddock and saw the North American talent cup with the Prillias. He's like, dad, can I ride one of those? No, Riley, those are race bikes. Those kids are all, all, all racing. He's like, well, can I just borrow one? <laughs> like, dude, It doesn't work that way. We pay a lot of money to go racing. It's expensive. He's like, well, I want to do that. And I had to turn to him and say, Riley, um, as long as I'm racing, you can't race because it's too expensive. We both can't do it.
1: There you go. And you never know when the hook might sink in. And it's, it's kind of steal a, an analogy there from fishing. But uh, unfortunately, Jeff, our time is running short. We want to take these last few moments, obviously, to uh, hand it over to you. If there's any sponsors you want to give a shout out to and thank anybody in your program and also where we can find you on social media or uh, reach out to you
2: right on yeah i just uh vision wheels discount tires amsoil especially KW, kws motorsports kevin hunt the owner there and mike godin who builds my bikes works on them drags them to the track does everything anything in between and Really couldn't go racing without him, especially when I had such a tough weekend like this past one, destroying a motorcycle and they were able to turn it around in less than an hour to get me back out on a super bike grid. You know, I just really, really thankful to my wife, my family, thank God for the opportunity and the whole motorcycle racing community just for, you know, welcoming back with open arms and I'm glad to be back in racing full time. Pretty amazing opportunity and it's pretty cool to see where it's going.
1: And we wish you great luck with uh, this year, obviously, Jeff, and uh, we hope you get good news on your injury. Obviously, we want to see you healthy and out on the racetrack, but uh, thanks again for joining us on Pit Pass Moto. (laughs) Thanks again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog and our brand new store where you can get your Pit Pass swag. This has been
0: a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Longbrick, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dale
1: Spangler. And I'm Dave Silecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto.
3: Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter a veteran of the paddle tennis world and sponsored by Paddle 1969.